It is uh, Parents Weekend. I'd like to welcome all the parents that have come here to be with their students from around uh, the country and perhaps around the world. And I just want to prove to you just how uh, warm and welcoming church we are. And I'd also like to welcome all the Nebraska fans among us this morning. Uh, I actually have extended family in that are Nebraska fans staying with us. And I just want to note, that is my wife's side of the family, right? (laughs) You know, in-laws always have some issues, right? That's their issue. (laughs) I'm glad that everybody's here. Um, This is what we do on Sunday morning. We go through books of the Bible. We're going through a book right now called Proverbs. And we're doing it a little bit differently because you can't just can't just walk through the whole book like we'd like to. So w- what we're doing, we're alternating. In the first nine chapters, it's the introduction to Proverbs, and we're, we're covering that in a verse-by-verse sequential manner. But when you hit chapter 10 through verse to chapter 31, we've got to deal with stuff more topically or some isolated verses and kind of just put them together and deal with the topic. And about two weeks ago, we dealt with the topic of friendship, and today we're actually going to deal with the topic of mercy and justice. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand, and I'm actually put some verses together, and you can just listen as I read the verse I put together. So there's nothing to read just yet. Just go ahead and listen to the, to the Word of God as it is read. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is maker of them all. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for the Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let me set up a scenario for you. This is a scenario that you seems like it would be heard in an ethics class on campus it comes from uh, the book that I've been reading called Awake by Noel Yates. And so here is the scenario. You have to decide or write a paper or do whatever you need to do on the options that I will present. You are having coffee at a cafe with your good friend. You guys are chilling out. You're having fun. Across the street, get this, it's three things. Across the street, out the window is a thrift store, a hardware store, and a shelter for abused women and their children. Now, as you're enjoying coffee at this cafe, you look over and you notice that the shelter is smoking. It's on fire. And the windows are all barred. You've got bars on them, so they can't get out through the window. And the doors are jammed shut. So they're stuck inside. So as you are having coffee with your friend, you have some options of the way you're going to respond. I'm going to give you your options, and you figure out what you're going to do. Here we go. Option number one, nothing. Just enjoy your coffee. Do nothing at all. Option number two, pray. That's it. Just pray. 
Don't do anything else but pray. Option number three, offer food from the cafe. So that idea would be, when those people get out of that shelter, they're going to be hungry. So you might well go and order a lot of food and go and feed them. Option number four, offer clothing from the thrift store. When they get out of the the shelter, they're going to have nothing. So you need to go to the thrift store and buy them some clothes and some other stuff. When they get out, you can give them stuff. Next option, option number five, offer tracks. Now, that is gospel tracks that have the message in there. So as they're burning, go up to the window and throw some through the bars. And before they perish, hopefully one or two will read it. Option number six, rush to the hardware store, get what you need, and free the trapped victims. Now, I'm going to leave those up for you for a moment. Yates continues in her book, uh, Awake, and she says this. She says that all over the world, People are trapped in burning buildings of poverty, hunger, disease, abuse, slavery, and spiritual darkness. So what are you going to do about it? Well, option number one, I'm I'm going to assume the best of you here this morning. Most of you, hopefully all of you, will not do option number one. Okay, they'll just kind of rule that out. What about option number two? Well, I'm also hoping that you will do option number two and pray, but I am also hoping that you will not stop at just praying, though that is very significant. But when you start to hit option number three through six, this is where things get a little murky. It really does. Because, of course, option number six, you want to rush to the hardware store, get what you can get, and just bust people out of there. But in reality, come on now, what does that look like? What does it look like to go and... I guess, intervene and rescue people that are in these states of poverty and suffering. And this is, this is where option three through six gets very, very complicated because all these options are needed, but the timing is so very important. Like, when, when do you share the gospel? Well, when do you give food? When, when do you give clothes? And, and when do you start to bring in medical supply? And, and also, when do you help them with jobs and redevelopment? How does that all all play together. And so, though option number six, of course, go and rescue them, it's, it's much more complicated out in the real world. Okay, let's put the options down. Here's what's been happening in the Christian world, whether you're tracking with it or not. There's a lot of talk going on about how shall we, as Christians, help the poor, the needy, and the suffering? How should we intervene in their plight, and bring aid. And as the argument has been developing, what we've done in the past, we've gone off to paint an orphanage, or we've taken short-term mission trips to pass out tracts, or we, we have helped the poor by going out and giving them food at various places. And then we come back from our short-term trips, and we feel good about ourselves. we like, we actually did something of worth. Now, what is starting to happen is that Christians are starting to evaluate the work that has been done over the years. There's a couple of books out there that are really good. One is called When Helping Hurts, another book called Toxic Charity. And what these books are evaluating, they're starting to say that a lot of the work that Christians have been doing has had little effect at best. Not dogging at all, but little effect at best. And they're starting to make an argument that a lot of the work that Christians do to help the poor is actually harming the poor. It actually 
we, we bust out there, we go on our short, short-term trip, and we come back, we feel good, but sometimes we actually hurt the poor in the way that we help them. Now, I'm not thinking that you came here on Sunday morning and we're going to solve all these problems right away, because we're not. We're not going to solve these problems. These are very difficult, very challenging problems. But what I want us to do is at least pause. We're going to act. We're going to have action. But we need to pause before we act and think through, what is God calling us to do in helping the poor, and what is the best way to go about that? And hopefully the book of Proverbs will shed some light on the best way to approach helping those who are in need. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Let me just show you where we're going in case you want some structure. Let me put up the structure here where we're going. First, we're going to consider the cry of the poor. Then we're going to move on to the value of the poor, the rights of the poor. And at the very last, we're going to consider the providers of the poor. But let's start first with the cry of the poor. Now, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles if you want to certain passages. You can either turn there or you can look on the screen just to track with us. But the first one's going to be Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. You can turn there or look on the screen, whatever you want. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. And the idea here is that the poor are crying out loudly. I think about some of my kids when they get injured. They are just wailing in pain and suffering. And that's the kind of idea you're supposed to think, this wailing and this cry of their poor. And God expected his people in Israel and his people today to respond to the cries of the poor. And those who refuse to respond, it says in the rest of the verse, will himself call out and not be answered. So the person who does not respond to the cries of the poor will one day cry out for mercy in their suffering. They'll cry out to God, and God will not respond to them, will not hear them. So why would someone not respond to the cries of the poor? Well, perhaps they're the ones oppressing them, or maybe they're so self-centered, self-obsessed, self-focused, that they don't have time to think about the poor. Now, I'm trying to be very positive this morning. I don't want to go off on you. I don't want to get in your face. I want to be just kind of nice this morning, very uncharacteristic for me. I just want to be nice. And I want to assume the best of you that you respond to the cries of the poor. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you respond to those who are in poverty because God responded to you in poverty. Do you remember what the Bible says about us? We are tagged as those who are poor in spirit, right? We are tagged as those who are spiritually bankrupt. We are tagged of those who are destitute and are sin apart from God. But what happened? What did God do? He reached out to us in our poor state of sin. He intervened. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us as sinners, buried, rose again, and through faith and repentance in Christ, we are reconciled to the Father. And what do we have now? We have all we need in Christ. We have absolute gain. We are no longer poor. We are rich in Him. So for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we now respond to the poor out of the grace that has been poured out to us. That means we respond to those who are crying out. Now get this. The poor are crying out all around us. Do you hear them? 
just within walking distance of our church, no joke, there are the poor who have some serious mental problems. Just within walking distance of our church are the elderly who have basically nothing and are completely lonely. Just within walking distance of our church are a variety of homeless men and women. And just within walking distance of our church are children who are being tossed around in the system. Now, let's branch out a bit and say, well, that's Evanston. Well, what's happening in Chicago? Well, if you branch out into Chicago, you'll hear the poor crying out, and and some may say even louder, as immigrants come here with nothing, as the trickle-down effect of drugs and violence impact the most vulnerable, and the unborn are killed on a daily basis. And then if you want to branch out some more from Evanston to Chicago, branch out to the rest of the world, you will hear the poor crying out so loud. As you will hear the the cry of the orphan, the cry of the AIDS sufferer, the cry of the hungry and the slave. And I want us to say at Evanston Bible Fellowship, we are those who hear. We hear that cry. And if you have shown up here on Sunday morning and you don't hear the cry of the poor, it is because you choose not to hear the cry of the poor. It's all over the place. And we are those who hear and we respond. So that's the cry. Well, let, let's now consider the value of the poor. Are, are they valuable? Proverbs 22, verse 2. I'll put it up for you. Proverbs 22, 2, the value of the poor. This is very important. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So they meet together. What what do you mean they meet together? Well, maybe they live by each other. Maybe they're neighbors or maybe they're friends. Maybe they they meet together in a courtroom and they're having legal disputes. It it doesn't matter where they're meeting together. The, The main point of this passage is that the Lord made them all. So rich and poor, they're equal in the eyes of God. They're equally created in the image of God. And all humans have this value by the fact that God made them. So if you're here this morning and you are materially poor, you are valuable in God's eyes. God loves you. The gospel is held out to you as equally as anybody else. But what we need to catch, guys, is that because God has made everyone equal, because he's made them in the image of God, we are supposed to show value to them in the way that we care for them. That means that we're not supposed to care for the poor in such a way that makes us feel the hero and makes them feel like kind of a loser. Like here, the poor, they're losers, and they just need some rich heroes to come in, and they go down, and we go up and feeling good about ourselves. So how do we help the poor in such a way where we don't feel like we're the superior hero and they're just a loser that just gets kind of crumbs from our table? How can we engage them in in such a way that we treat them equal, created in the image of God, with value? How do we do that? That's what I want you to think about. That's what I've been trying to teach my family. My family, we meet together for something we call family worship. And we get into the word and we we bring in some things, uh, devotionals to help us learn. And one of the things we're trying to teach them is how do we care for the poor in such a way that values them. And one of the things we've been looking at is, is, is a little movie. We've been watching a little movie during family worship. It's a, it's a film called Restore. And there's a clip from that film. I don't usually show video clips, but I want to show you this clip from the film of Restore that kind of speaks to this idea of how we engage the poor in such a way that doesn't make us feel like the hero and then feel inferior. So let's go ahead and watch that. 
Meet Joe. Joe lives in London and owns an internet technology company that he started. He has a wife, three kids, and a dog named Bella. Joe enjoys a round of tennis, coaching his son's soccer team, and a good espresso from his local coffee shop every morning. He's done pretty well by most people's terms and feels like a champ. Now meet Greg. Greg also lives in London, but lost his job over a year ago and hasn't been able to land a steady one since. Greg also has a wife and two kids. Greg and his family live in an apartment for now, but may soon be forced to move because of their inability to pay the rent. Talk about a downer. Greg has been feeling pretty bad too. Not only does he feel like he can't keep a job, the feeling of seeing his wife and kids suffer from his presumed inability to provide for them crushes his spirit even more. Compared to Joe, he feels like he just doesn't add up. Joe has also been feeling a few things. He looks at his life and realizes there are people who don't quite have it as good as he does. And something about that just doesn't set well with him. So, in his true innovative nature, he seeks to satisfy the desire by doing something good and helping those in need. Joe's church connects him to Greg through a local mission at Greg's apartment complex. Joe gets to know a little about Greg's situation and feels pretty bad about it. Joe sees Greg's kids and family and realizes that they may not have enough money for Christmas presents this year. Joe knows exactly what to do. Christmas morning approaches and Greg's family is having a nice, simple time together at home. Then Joe arrives. And Joe doesn't arrive just by himself. He's loaded with iPods, gift cards, games, clothes, and even a puppy. Greg's kids are freaking out. And honestly, well, so is Greg. But probably for a totally different reason. Joe leaves and heads home, feeling quite fulfilled. But what about Greg? How do you think he feels? Joe just exploited Greg's deepest sense of his poverty, his lack of self-esteem. Not only do his kids see him as a failure, but he feels he'll never amount to the man that Joe is. When we look back at Joe's gesture, it wasn't that he was trying to bring Greg down. He was actually trying to bless the family and bring them up. But still, his actions made it worse. What he did actually pushed Greg even farther into his inward poverty. Not to mention, pushed his own sense of self-pride that much higher. So you see how we can engage the poor, feel good about ourselves, and yet be hurting them. So how do we engage them in such a way that doesn't do that? How do we treat them as they are valuable, created in the eyes of God, in His image? So how do we care for the poor in such a way that builds them up rather than puts them down? And so here, here's going to be the big thing I'm going to stress today. In other sermons, I could stress other things, but today this is what I'm going to talk about. I really want to stress the idea of relationship. Relationship. If you only write down one word today, remember one word today, just remember the word relationship. You see, the film goes on to show is that we need to view people not as problems to be solved. We need to view people the way God views them, as people to be known. So rather than coming up into a situation and assuming, hey, I know what you need. Let me fix it for you. How about getting to know them and engage in relationship and find out and ask them, what, what do you need? 
Let's work on this together. And as you develop this relationship, you will notice that the relationship is mutual. You're just not the one that's the savior and the hero. You will actually gain something in this relationship from them through hospitality, through counseling, through encouragement. They will build you up as well because it is a mutual relationship. I've been here at this church for many years, and I've seen a lot of you engage the poor on many different levels. And I just want to single out two people this morning that I've noticed over the years. One was an undergraduate, and one was a graduate. The first was an undergrad guy who engaged the poor that were suffering with uh, some mental struggles, some mental problems. And this guy developed a relationship, an undergrad guy, with this older man who has some struggles, gave him the gospel, brought him to church, and developed this relationship while he was an undergrad. The second guy I want to tell you about, a grad student, he developed a relationship with a 50-year-old man who was a homeless man. And this grad student, 20-something grad student, built into this man, discipled him, helped him find a place to live. And I remember going to this this guy's kind of housewarming party with all these people showed up. And I was thinking, can you believe here is a 20-something grad student impacting this 50-something-year-old homeless man because they're in a relationship. And I know that you show up to college or to Evanston and you live here four years, three years, two years, one year, six months, whatever. (laughs) You show up here and you're thinking, it's all about me and what I can get, my degree and my job. But think about it. During the short span of time, you can develop relationships with those who are suffering and you can make an impact. And and I know it's easier to give money. I know it's easier to paint a house. I know it's easier to hand out food. And there's nothing wrong with those things. And I want to encourage you to do them. Yes, but think about long-term relationship often has long-term impact. So don't give in such a way that makes you feel awesome and brings them down. Give in such a way where you develop a relationship and there's this mutual encouragement. So you have the cry of the poor. And we consider the value of the poor. And this is where it gets really difficult and challenging, so please stay with us. Let's look at the rights of the poor. This is, this is the hardest part. The rights of the poor. Proverbs 29.7. Proverbs 29.7. This is, this is great. It says, a righteous man, a righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. And for those of you who have the NIV translation, it says the righteous man cares about justice for the poor. Now, that word justice is being thrown around so much today. You'll see it in the media. You'll hear it in Christian talk. And you kind of go, what, what do we mean by justice? Well, let me just throw up a definition for you of justice by Timothy Keller. He's a pastor out of New York. He says, justice is giving humans their due as people in the image of God which means that people who are creating an image of God have value. And you want to give them their due just by the fact that they're created in his image. But injustices, what happens when you have injustice, people are devalued and the image of God is defaced. It can manifest itself in the mistreatment of the disabled, the neglect of the elderly, the abuse of the orphan, or the enslavement of of young women as we talk about the, the the child trafficking movement around the world, how injustices happen. 
And the injustice happened to tend to be the most vulnerable of society. And so as Christians, we want to bring justice. We want to give people their due as created image of God. We think, you know what? Because you're a human being, you should not be raped. Because you're a human being, you should not be abused and murdered. That's this basic understanding of being created in the image of God. And when that is happening, we want to intervene and bring justice. But it gets complicated. Because... What is due people in certain circumstances? It's not always easy to tell. And I'm not just going to preach here and assume that you know what it is and I know what it is. That's why we need wisdom. The book of Proverbs gives us wisdom to understand what people need. But look at the contrast in the second part of the verse, 29.7. I'll put it up for you again. It says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Perhaps you're one of those guys or one of those girls that are here this morning and you say, you know what? The poor deserve what they get. It's their foolish choices that put them in the spot in the first place. They did this sin and they did that sin and they're fools and so they deserve to be poor in their face. Whatever they sowed, now they're reaping, and they deserve it. They don't need my intervention. Perhaps you're here, and that is the way that you think. But I want to tell you this. The Bible's very clear that people should work. Yep. The Bible's very clear that people should not make foolish, moral choices. Yep, I give you that. But I just want to make a bold statement here, and you can talk to me about it later. But I think most of the poor in the world are poor because of injustice. I think most of the poor are poor in the world because of injustice. When I showed up to Ethiopia and I met educated men and women with advanced degrees without a job, I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, if you're poor, just go get a job. What's your deal? You lazy? I bet men and women, time and time again, advanced degrees, no jobs. Like, what is the deal? What's going on here? And then I go to Jamaica, men and women, advanced degrees, no jobs. Like, what is going on? I mean, you think of Jamaica, it's tropic, it's beautiful, everybody's rich. No, go to Jamaica and get out of the resort and look around. Like, well, where are the jobs? And I started to ask questions, and it seems like there's a lot of injustice going on, uh, some corrupt government stuff, some unjust laws, some society oppression, some racism, some tribalism, classism, and even sometimes there is religious oppression. You can think about the caste system. So a lot of the poor that we see in the world is, is really due to injustice. And so if you're here this morning saying the poor get what they deserve, I wouldn't say that. Because do you want God to give you what you deserve? Yikes. No. So how can we think about these things? How can we think through these things? Well, I think it's as simple as this. Our God, our Father, our sovereign God that we've sung about, cares about the poor, and he calls us to follow in his footsteps and care about the poor as well. I am not making this stuff up. 
Our God cares about the poor. It's not that the sense, if you're poor, you're going to heaven. No, 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 no. The poor are just as sinful as everyone else is. They need the gospel. They need to be reconciled to God. But the Bible is also very clear that somehow the poor have a special place in God's affection. And so we should follow in his footsteps. Let me show you God's heart. Let me put up some verses for you. Proverbs 23, 10 through 11. Look at this one. Proverbs 23, 10 through 11. Do not move an ancient landmark. Or enter the fields of the fatherless, that's the orphans. For the Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. So God was against those in Israel who were trying to swipe the inherited land from the orphans by moving the ancient landmarks. And it says, you know what? God's going to intervene. He's going to be their strong Redeemer. And he will take up their cause through judgment. That's his heart. Let me give you another proverb. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23. It says, do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted of the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. <laughs> Here the poor were vulnerable to being robbed. They were, they were vulnerable to having injustice at the city gates where the legal decisions were made. And it says here, you know what? Those of you who target the poor, God is going to target you. Because his heart and his affections are for rallying and championing the cause of the poor. And basically all we're saying is like we want our hearts to be in line with our father's hearts and be moved by the things that move him. And the things that move him are caring for those who are oppressed and who are afflicted, who are suffering. And he wants us to move toward them. And that's all we're going to do is just follow in his footsteps and move toward those who are suffering. But here's the question. I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. Very few of you are lawyers. So what are you going to do when rights of the poor are being violated? Not just here in America, but around the world. What do you, what do, you do? I mean, how do you bring justice when injustice need to, be, to have some type of legal remedy? Well, let's just be honest. We need to work and interact with our brothers and sisters around the world who know what they're doing. Not just Americans those from around the world who know what they're doing and know how to fight legally for the rights of the poor. I can think of a group called the International Justice Mission, IJM, who go all around the world and interact with those and bring legal justice. Right now they're working in Uganda. What happens in Uganda? These, uh, these women who are widows, as soon as their husband dies, other family members come in and swipe their land. IJM's over there advocating for them, getting their land back. I, 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 I'm not skilled to do that. Maybe some of you are. But what they do is they take on internships for a year. Some of you have some skills, want to go in there, intern with them for a year, and bring some of this legal justice that can happen globally. But don't just say, oh, only the lawyers can be responsible and those who know what they're doing legally. Get this. You and I can bring justice locally. When you make friends and enter relationship with someone who is suffering, someone who has problems, someone who's poor, uh, more times than not, you will find yourself in a situation where you need to intervene with justice. Some of my relationships have caused me to learn more about the legal justice system and how courtrooms work than I ever thought would have happened. 
Some of my relationships have caused me to learn about justice medically as I interact with certain insurance companies or even the government, what they do or do not provide. The poor need you to advocate for them in those ways. The poor need you to advocate for them in society, in fair housing, in jobs. You will find yourself, as you engage relationship with the poor, you will find there are times they're going to be getting hit with these injustices, and you, as their friend, will step up and help them figure it out. And why would you do that? Because that's what God does. God cares for them, and we want our hearts to follow his heart. So you have the cry of the poor. You have the poor and the rights, the value of the poor. And the last one we're going to look at is the providers of the poor. Who are the providers of the poor? Uh, It's you and me. Look at it. Proverbs 19.17. Let me put it up for you. Proverbs 19.17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay him for his deed. So those who give generously to the the poor in food, money, clothes, housing, or justice, God views it as a loan to him. You're like giving a loan to God. And God will continue to pay us back so we can continue to provide. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes We'll get many a curse. We don't want to close our ears. We don't want to close our eyes to the poor. But those who give, you may think, well, if I start giving to the poor, I'm not going to have anything left. The verse is very clear that you will not want if you give to the poor. So God will take care of us as we give to the poor. But as we're going along in this sermon today and we're thinking through these things, what does it mean to give to the poor? Poor. What does it mean to give to the poor financially? What does it mean to give them our resources? It will take wisdom and and discernment. Do not think, oh, I need to care for the poor. I'm just going to start throwing money out there. That is not the thing to do. Don't just start throwing money out there without thinking. Let me put up a common breakdown to distinguish on what you could do financially for the poor. Let me put this up for you. It's a common breakdown. It's in when helping hurts. That money can be used for relief, rehabilitation, or development. Just think about those three categories. Relief, rehabilitation, and development. So when do we need a relief? Let's think about it. A tsunami happens in Indonesia. They have nothing. They need medical care. They need food. They need clothes. They just need relief. Or when an immigrant moves to America with absolutely nothing, they need relief. They need food. They need a place to stay. That's relief. The next one is called rehabilitation. Now, rehabilitation is when you start to work with the local people there, perhaps the local church, and you start to bring some type of normalcy. You try to help them restore their homes. You help them restore and hopefully to working again. You have that rehabilitation. And the third one is more societal. It's working with the local people or the local church for some long-term change, uh, whether it's physically, economically, and spiritually. Now, now, you keep these three categories in mind of relief, rehabilitation, and development. And here's the problem. If you want to put your problem on what the American church has been struggling with, it, it's this right here. And, and the, the authors of When Helping Hurts really nail it. Let me put this quote up by Corbett and Fickard. They actually wrote this book. They say, one of the biggest mistakes that North American churches make by far is applying relief in situations in which rehabilitation or development is the appropriate intervention. 
Which means if we keep giving relief when we need to be moving on and dealing with issues of rehabilitation and development, we are not empowering the poor to be who God has made them to be. In fact, we're getting more of that uneven, we feel cool, and they are lesser. So basically it says, you know what? I can give the poor food, and I can pass out food, and then I can go and do it again tomorrow and the next day. But if I'm all just for relief and I don't want to move on to anyone else because I want to feel good about myself, hey, church, I want to pass out food to the poor and I don't want to deal with anything else, we have this situation going on again and we just keep giving out the relief with no rehabilitation and no development. So you've got to think through what you're doing with your time and your money as you invest in the poor. Are you doing it in such a way that's keeping them down here and you feeling good up here? Think through these things, whether you're doing it globally or locally. Yes, absolutely, give, but give with wisdom and discernment. We just don't want to be about relief. Relief when relief is needed, but let's do the hard, gritty work that takes years of rehabilitation and development, and that's going to take discernment and wisdom. So as we were sitting here in Evanston in 2012, in October, we hear these cries of the poor. And we respond, why? Well, God responds to us in our poverty. And so what we do is we do something locally and globally, if that's what God's calling you to do. Locally, what do we do? We build relationships with people. Sometimes this will come through parachurch organizations. Sometimes it will come through neighbors that are on the street. Uh, sometimes it will just people you just, just know that you hear of, and we develop relationships with those who are suffering. But what do we do globally? Am I just going to talk you out of all short-term mission trips from now on? I mean, no, I'm going on a short-term mission trip in two months to Haiti. This is what I would encourage you to do globally, you know, besides giving to the appropriate organizations that do great things. If you start making trips globally... Rather than just hitting these trips in different places, one each year, pick a spot and just hit it over and over again. Just pick something and just keep hitting it over and over again so you're developing long-term relationships with the people that are in that country. So if it's Ethiopia, if it's Jamaica, if it's Haiti, if it's Mexico, wherever, just keep going to the same spot, get your passion directed there so you know what's going on, so you know what you're doing with whether it's relief or rehabilitation or or development, and you know the people because you're developing long-term relationships with them. And some may ask, where does the gospel play into all this? Do we give the gospel first, or do we give the gospel after we help them? Let me just say this. You will know when to give the gospel. You will know the appropriate time. When someone is, is totally bent over starving, get them some food. <laughs> get to know them. And bring the gospel in in the appropriate time. But don't, don't leave the gospel out. We're gospel people. We want to care for them spiritually. We want to care for their eternal lives. So the gospel plays into this mix how it does. May the Lord give you wisdom and discernment. So I'll leave you with this one last image. This is awesome. In the 1800s in London, it was a mess. There was poverty. There was injustice. And there was a great preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Many of you have heard him 
and seen quotes by him. He was the master of the pulpit. Every seminary guy today wants to be just like him. But Charles Spurgeon had a contemporary in the pulpit, and that guy's name was William Booth. Perhaps you won't hear about him as much. And while he was preaching in the pulpit, he'd looked out on the streets and he saw the injustice, the impoverty, and he said, you know what? I'm leaving the pulpit and I'm going to bring the gospel to the streets. So he went on the streets and started preaching the gospel and helping the poor on the streets and he founded something you may have heard of called the Salvation Army. And you think, well, that's a great thrift store. <laughs> I, oh, those are the bell ringers at Christmas. Yeah, those guys. The Salvation Army, historically, I don't know what they're doing now, but historically, they are great gospel preachers on the streets, bringing the gospel, interacting with the poor. And William Booth ha- has this great line. It's just classic. I want to share it with you in parting here. Look at this line by William Booth. He says this. One of the secrets of the success of the Salvation Army is that the friendless of the world find friends in it. And that's what we want to be about as a church and as individuals. We want to be friends with people who are suffering. And what I'd love to say is that, hey, my brothers and sisters, when you see those who are suffering who are poor, don't look at them as a project. Look at them as a person. Don't look at them as a problem to be solved. Look at them as a person to be known. Let's pray. Lord, you are so faithful to reach out to us in our poverty. And you reconciled us through your son, Jesus. And you poured into us the riches of Christ and forgiveness and righteousness. And we now know you. Lord, just show us the people that we know in our lives that are suffering, that are in poverty, that are facing injustice, that are oppressed. Make us not so self-focused and so lazy that we don't care. Help us to engage those with the gospel. Engage them with care and provision. Who are those people, Lord? Maybe we need to, to reinvest in an existing friendship. Maybe we need to start a new friendship. Lord, just give us wisdom, each of us. It may be different, but show us who is it in our lives or who could be in our lives that we will view not as a project but as a person, not a problem to be solved, but a person to be known and cared for and loved as you have cared for us. So, Lord, we ask you for wisdom and discernment to care for those in such a way that bring you the maximum amount of glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.